0: Namo tasa pakavato arahato sama samputasa Namo tasa pakavato arahato sama samputasa Namo tasa pakavato arahato sama samputasa Putang dhammang sankang There are a million and one ways to practice meditation. And so you have to have confidence in your own experiment and observing yourself and seeing what kind of a person you are but also what the tone of the mind is in each situation because it's always very variable where your energies are at and what kind of moods are coming up. and The time of the day, if you've just eaten, so many factors make up any given a period of meditation. So, first and foremost, having a sense of what's going on right now. This is very important, obviously, rather than just kind of jumping into a technique. So how is it now, a kind of awakening of the mind? What's your body like? You got a lot of pain? What's the mood of the mind? Are you negative? Or is there a lot of dullness? Things like that. So there's a, a sense of truly awakening to the whole experience of being at any particular point in the meditation, your mind-body experience. From that you... you, we all make experiments and and then we discover what things work for us and we get more consistent with those things that work for us. And then we also discover certain things to do when we are dull or when we're restless or whatever, so that Craft of meditation becomes honed over the years, and you find uh, you find more and more confidence, more and more uh, interest in the practice. So the whatever a teacher offers you is just usually from their own experience or maybe from some book learning, but the the base that really the nub of it is is uh, the awakened mind not bound by grasping to the kundas, not bound by the addiction to distraction, not bound by the endless preoccupation with stuff, 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 mind-stuff, body-stuff, emotional-stuff, stuff-stuff-stuff. And so the way I, I have been trying to encourage that is this, through the three characteristics, through this very simple way of things like that this experience is in-awareness that's the way I approach the teachings and anatta this is in-awareness so if you're doing like body meditation and body meditation is there's so many aspects to that which are helpful and skillful, breath meditation uh, chakra knowing, um, knowing tension but what seems to me very important is to make sure that you in, in awareness of the body, you include your head. That, the, that you're not working from your head, but your head is in awareness. That, uh, to me, seems very primary to getting a sense of non-grasping, of the, knowing the body formations, but not being a kind of person who is meditating to get something. This kind of grasping of situation, that usually comes from the head the eyes instead of trying. Well when you when you at least when I do that when I say that the head is in awareness, that the eyes are in awareness, there's a kind of largeness to the awareness which includes bodily formation in a way which is where bodily formation is seen as a flow in nature, rather than me being in the body doing something, some kind of practice. And that that perception I found is just quite unspectacular or almost seemingly insignificant, this experience is in-, in awareness. Doesn't seem like much. So I found I just if I persist with that, the body is in awareness, that the eyes are in awareness, the emotional life is in awareness. If I persist with that, then there's a kind of intuition or or or, or sense of non-grasping which begins to it's very hard to explain it just begins to operate i suppose non grasping to operate very hard because any any sense of i am operating somehow doesn't work anyway that you pick up something like that this is taking place in awareness now that that's not an extreme experience like deep peace or I don't know, happiness or, or or fear whatever it doesn't have that that kind of Holding quality of a of a of a experience of, of sense experience, and sense experiences hold our attention, don't they? Painful knee, a memory of something na- nasty that happened to you, uh, a thought of something pleasant you might do. These are these are very definite kind of. They have qualities. They have character. They have strength. And so we're very much drawn to that. We're drawn to experience them as we have to. You have to taste the soup you're making to make sure it has a good taste and you have to live in the world that way. But well we're, we're trying to discover something absolutely much, much, much more subtle, much more um, hard to actually notice. And that the way we talk about that is non-grasping, non-attachment. And uh, that's very often misperceived, non-attachment, non-grasping, very much misperceived as having no emotional experience or somehow that it is a kind of bland vacuum of non-experience but within a strong experience like pain or or emotional pain physical pain memory whatever what is non-grasping within, within that because no matter what you do you still have you still have a sense body you still contact and feeling are working you have memory that's just part of the flow of consciousness that that takes place well what's non-grasping within just the naturalness there and the way I approach that is this happening in awareness so the the drama of the sense experience still kind of comes and goes but the reference is no longer the experience itself but the, the knowing, the awareness the witnessing we have individuality and that's one of the things that confuses people about, around the teachings of anatta. Is that the kind of anatta, the misperception again, it's like that, like there is no experience, but there is experience, and it's individual. Your your experience of of today was different than my experience of today. So there is individuality, that's for sure, isn't there? Can't deny that. So sometimes people think that anatta is pointing to no individuality, but that's not. That, that's obviously not true. Your memories are different than mine. The, the way you tasted the, your fruit this morning was different than the way I tasted my fruit, even though it seems to be the same fruit. So individuality flows through through awareness. And knowing individuality is... is you can't help but do it. Each of us has our own individual situations. You can't help but be with that. But the... the the way of non-grasping, the way of non-attachment is is to know it as a flow rather than to be caught and preoccupied with it through judgment, liking, disliking and attachment to craving so this way of, of, of stepping out, or stepping back or knowing that the head is in awareness the eyes are in awareness the out-breath is in awareness there's a perception, a way of considering, it's a perception that I find I need to keep bringing up, making conscious. And if I keep making it conscious, then the profundity of awareness begins to dominate, not through my willfulness, more through a change of narrative, change of perspective, change of attitude, change of whatever way of looking at things, change of perception. So, coming back to body awareness, um, I noticed that some people tend to be, I kind of suspect, chronically dull. If you're chronically dull, then one of the things it was very helpful to, to learn how to do is to learn how to lock your hara down and out. Uh, so, if you find that you think you were meditating, but you're not sure if you were meditating, and the bell surprises you, then you're probably chronically dull. (laughs) So, the bobbing and all of that. And and I noticed that uh, I was doing a survey. I'm watching you, by the way. And if you feel self-conscious, you should be. (laughs) So, the brownies are winning. So, in the sitting this morning, the brownies had 80% nodding, the whiteys had twenty five percent nodding and the late people had zero percent nodding. So the brownies are definitely winning in the nodding department. <laughs> Which I don't know if that's really how it should be, but that's the way it is. So <laughs> if I may encourage everyone to to contemplate how do you bring vitality into your practice? How do you prevent yourself from just becoming a kind of a... a kind of nodding dullard? And, and you want to be really careful in that, because you can... you can get your posture nice and comfortable, and, and... the pain is gone, and you're just sort of almost there. But you can just see it in the posture, and head's nodding, 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 not quite there. Uh, no vitality in the posture, no strength in the posture, no, no, no virya in the posture. It's kind of too rounded, too soft, it kind of looks like, you know. uh, So the way to do that is to really learn how to develop your hara, to learn how to, to push down, down and out, down and out, until it locks, and then it locks. Can hold it for a long time but that you need you need muscle for that if you've never done it so if you're if you're sitting with your knees higher than your hips that's gonna be really hard to do so if you can you can sit flat you can sit flat to do that or you sit half lotus or full lotus and then at least your knees are are not higher than your hips. But if you're sitting like this, and you haven't got something under your butt, and then you're trying to push your back up, you're going to you have a lot of back strain. So if you're going to sit just, well, if you can sit Burmese style, or half lotus, or full lotus, then you don't need anything under your butt. But if I may suggest, if you're going to sit like I am now, then you really should, you should be putting something under your butt so that you're, your hips are higher than your knees so that you're pushing forward with your hips so that you can raise your spine, right? Otherwise, you just think about it. Your knees are here, right? And your butt's on the ground. Okay, now, now your knees are pushing you back. Your knees are pushing you back. So, so you've got to strain yourself to get up just to kind of almost straight. So you're going to get tired and you're just going to go like that. And as you go like that, that crushes your hara, and your, gu- and, and your chest, and you get less air, you get less energy. Right? So, although it's very brave and noble and aesthetic to not use a cushion... yeah, you, know, you see, I've got the best wedge in town. But, it's not just because I'm a wimp. I've I've done my aesthetic practices on concrete, it's actually very pragmatic. That's why people use benches and things like that. So do do look at that. What what are you what are you doing with your spine? because you, you don't want to strain it either. You don't want to hurt it, but can you can you really can you really launch up if if you, if your whole weight is pushing you back? So do you know have a look at that, have a look at your posture and, Think about, like, if you want to develop posture where you're not on a cushion, that's good. It's really great for Asia because it's hard to get a cushion. But also consider how how, how can you get out of a kind of chronic dullness. So that I find that, like, just put a lot of effort or over the years and just learning how to push the hara forward, push down, and then lock it in. And then... And the body likes that, keeps it up, nice and strong, nice and strong at the base. And then the rest seems to take care of itself. So, have a look at that, because that's, to me, the, the sort of primary way of dealing with dullness. Except for coffee. <laughs> that's, a, that's another way. Alright, so there's that. Complexity. You know, you'll find, uh, in, in the meditative life, the sometimes a, a very complex Object in meditation is very helpful. Sometimes it's not. But complexity is, like in Tibetan tradition, they use complexity a lot. I've never done it myself, but it's been explained to me. They'll take uh, a, a complex visualization of a deity. So they'll take a tanka and actually memorize the visual details. I could never do that. Then they'll have a complex mantra that they're applying to that. And then they'll up the ante and have a complex series of mudras they do. When I first ran up to that, I said, Wow, you can do that? But some people seem to be able to do that. Well, what's the point of that? Well, it keeps your mind busy. But busy in a very directed way, not in busy in a kind of distracted way. And apparently it has really powerful effects. So you find complexity in Theravad through, like, 32 parts of the body. That's a complex series of hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, skin, that you, that you visualize and go through. So what's the point of that? Well, it keeps your mind preoccupied in a very directed way towards the body, and, and you do piece by piece, and, and that means you have to kind of stay in the routine. Because you have to stay in the routine, it helps you stay in the present moment. Or if you look at like some of the ways of metabhavana, like very complex ways of uh, five factors per being, and then five beings, and then different types of beings, and then this direction, that north, south, east, west, zenith, uh, nadir, and so on. So you get these very layering, complex layerings of beings and people, and and uh, word phrases around metta-bhāvana. Well, what's the point of that? Well, once again. You have, to, you have to stay on topic so some people like that I don't like that kind of complexity myself but, but you can see the point of it so so you take something like I suggested at the morning meditation and I, I would ask if everyone could do this on the retreat uh, do at least one session the beginning of a meditation session go through the names of each person on this retreat and wish them well It's a bit complex, not so complex. And just begin with Vajra Viradhamma, Vajra Satchito, Tansivajana, Tanshinda, Tankima. So go through the whole Sangha, all the lay people, and bring them to heart, wish them well. Bring them to heart, wish them well. Bring them to heart, wish them well. well. Now that is uh, just marginally complex, but if you can't do that, then you're probably lazy. So it's a good way to look at laziness. Sometimes when we get too passive in meditation, when someone suggests something complex, I don't want to do that and fall asleep again. So complexity can be helpful for dullness. But on the other hand, complexity can be just a busyness. We just, oh God, I could keep doing all these lists. So it can be counterproductive too. It can be not effective according according to time, place, and character. But anyway, during this retreat, maybe if everyone would, would do that, just take you know the first part of one of, one of the meditations, and um, many ways to do it, but um, the way I like to do it is I, I name the person, and again, I take them to the heart chakra, and then, may you be well, right to the end of the out-breath. And they don't, I don't rush to the next person on the in-breath. I pick them up, and then on the in-breath, real slow, so one at a time, one at a time and go through. I did that many times today. Feeling's very good, very wholesome. So i suggest everyone try that and see what happens if you do that for three months. See how you feel about each other. And if there's one person you have having difficult with, guess what? And then you just, see, you just see that see that can be a very effective thing, but also can you can just feel like I'm oh, always doing. So you're I, I wouldn't want that, that to be all the time. So then there are practices which are very simple. Very simple. Do nothing. That's very hard. Very hard just to do nothing. Because, to, because there's a very suggestion to do nothing is a doing, isn't it? But that's the ultimate simplicity, where you sit and just... This is the way it is now. And that can be very, very fruitful. Very, very fruitful. But if you're falling asleep... So that kind of a, that kind of a practice is, is helpful when you have a lot of vitality and you have a lot of presence, you're here. Whereas if, you're, if your minds are scattered and wandering and dull, then you, you need different kind of vitality. But if you have some level of samadhi, some level of stillness, or your mind just a- appreciates openness rather than focus, some, sometimes and some minds appreciate openness more than focus. Some minds appreciate focus. Some minds, if they focus, they get tight and uptight and intense, so they need more space. And and so like this is taking place in awareness is a very spacious practice. The body is in awareness, very spacious. So I don't know what kind of a character you are. You you can only know that. But see, there are ways where you can take the breath and you can you can intensely focus on the on the nostrils, and then that might be very skillful. You might be able to hold it and really calm the mind. Another person might get a headache. That's why when I when I was talking about meditation, I really notice your eyes. Or, or things like when you, at the end of the out-breath, uh, really notice your hands, notice your eyes, and notice what happens on the next in-breath. Is there anticipation? Does, do your hands get tense, even a little way, even a little way? Because quite often at the end of the out breath, either our minds wander and we fall asleep, or we have an anticipation. It's not big, but you you begin to enter into these more subtle things as you're meditating. So complexity has its usefulness. So and I often recommend memorizing the uh, the Mettā Sutta. This is what should be done, and then, you know that most of us know that one. But just consider, if to do that, to do the metta-sutta slowly, uh, is, is takes a, a kind of controlled presence around a bunch of words, with, which have very good meaning. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, Humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. And that's very calming. Now, when we, when we memorize uh, chants, usually we know them so well that it just becomes one word triggers a network, triggers the next word, triggers the next word. But when we have to do it slowly, we forget, or our minds wander. So that's complex. It's just marginally complex. But actually it can be very skillful, because then you have to, first of all, you have to memorize the sutta. And then you have to, have to kind of lay it out in a way which requires a lot of mindfulness. And then, say, that sutta has such a beautiful meaning, really beautiful meaning, that it brings forth very uh, wholesome aspirations and wholesome uh, attitudes to life. So that's a bit complex, not very. It's much more different than do nothing. Different. So it could be very skillful. Yoga Nidra. Yoga Nidra is lying meditation. And uh, again, just to walk you through that, or lie you through that. Uh, So, Yoga Nidra is is taking Sarvasana as a posture and, and setting up the corpse posture in a way that is comfortable, warm back, you're not cold. And then, using the lying posture as your basic grounding, trying to stay awake is the hard thing. I got to figure out how to do that. But if you figure out how to stay awake in sitting posture, you figure out how to do it in the lying posture. And then you, you you take the posture and you and you don't move. That's that's the real crucial thing, don't move. So you're laying there, don't move. And then, as soon as you feel any discomfort, use the discomfort, make it fully conscious. Let it become, Let it come up into consciousness. And this way of, of, of body meditation, where you're allowing the bodily feelings to come up into consciousness, is the way of this is taking place in awareness. Now, as you do that, when you feel the discomfort, and you don't move, then that Deepens your awareness, because now you're not reacting to the body. I want to be comfortable in a habitual way. Now awareness knows discomfort. So what happens there, if you you can get out of the I-making, my-making, thinking mind, and come more to a sense of empty, empty knowing, without the whole proliferation of self going on, by using the body, by making... Letting the body become conscious, you you can you can start by using this the like the face first, like I was teaching earlier. Use the mouth, ears, nose, eyes, head, arms, chest, pelvis, legs. Do that, go through that way. But make each each part of the body conscious. Let it become conscious. Let it become conscious, and then after a while, you get a kind of global whole body awareness of the body, kind of whole body, whole sense, like the body in awareness now. Include your head in that, so the, the head is in awareness, the eyes are in awareness. And so you begin to feel the whole, the whole body as not a concept or a lump of conceptualized flesh, but rather the, the boundaries of, of body begin to be felt different because it's an energy form. Then you play around, you say, listen to sound, this is in awareness, Feel the body is as in awareness. So really the sense of uh, awareness becomes stronger and stronger rather than me being in the body. And then what might happen, maybe it's not typical, but I've talked to people who have the same kind of experience, then you start to maybe get little electrical charges coming out to your skin, um, just little like pin pinpricks of... I guess it's electricity, whatever it is. Anyway, little pinpricks of feeling, sensation. Now, don't scratch those, but see if you can just allow them to be. And what often happens is you get a lot of jerking. You just get your, your your arm will just fling up, or your 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 shoulders will go like that. You you, you can get a lot of that kind of release going on, and that can go on can go on for an hour, hour and a half sometimes, half an hour, ten minutes, maybe not take place. But allowing that to take place starts to really relax the body very deeply, instead of just kind of, the, all the tensions in the body get released in this rather dramatic way. Uh, so you have to just uh, trust that that's, that's okay, that you're, you're not developing some kind of disease. It's quite all right, it's not dangerous. And and the temptation isn't to scratch. Because these are just little little pinpricks that come up through the skin. And they are they're precursors of kabang. <laughs> and right there you try to be very empty. Allow this experience just take place and then there's a release. So the thinking mind doesn't want to do that. So if you're always thinking and trying to do something, you won't you're just being thought, you won't you won't notice that. So you're trying to let go of thought. And just allow the body, the body feelings to become conscious. Let this posture become conscious. So as that as that release takes place, and again it can go on for a long time, the body starts to feel this deep, deep, deep relaxation. And then and then that posture doesn't. It's not held anymore. It just is. It just is. And and then you have a a posture now which is very relaxed and the need for effort becomes much, 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 much more subtle because there's no need to hold anything anymore. Uh, even to hold the body still, it's not relevant. And so the, the sense of the doer becomes very easy to investigate. The sense of a, a, a meditator becomes quite easy to observe effort now. Because you know, really, there's no no need for much effort, and that's where you start to get considerations of don't do anything, do nothing, no effort, because now there's a there's a stillness, a relaxation that that is uh, full, it's very vibrant, very alive, and that posture then it's quite easy to to be with that for a long periods of time, and then the Observation becomes more subtle And more subtle things are, are noticed So the subtleties of trying to get something Trying to figure something out The kind of underlying restlessness of tanha, of bhava Begins to be noticed And that that begins to relax And then there's the more release And little pinpricks come up And there's more release So it's a very uh, interesting posture to, to explore Of course many people find they just fall asleep It's all right probably need to sleep. Then one thing to do is then when you come out of it, just stay there. Okay, oh, I'm falling asleep. Well, fall asleep. But then when you wake up, don't don't go anywhere. Just go back into the posture. See what happens. That's one way to, to discover it. Probably there'll be no one in the shrine room tomorrow. <laughs> Where did everyone go? <laughs> anyway, and this is also an old man's reflection. <laughs> posture but yoga know, nija is very hard actually sarvasana is actually a very hard posture to do correctly but if you if you want I would say it's, a, it's an interesting one to explore but if you take the same principles then to sitting posture and body awareness when you're holding your posture try, try to try to try to look at things like this is in awareness whole body or not just in your head trying to get something, and whole body awareness. Look at the end of the out-breath. Look at that, the, the grasping of the next in-breath, non-anticipation. See your hands. What are your hands doing? What's your face doing? So that the end of the out-breath, there's no squeezing of the hands to get the next breath. No squeezing of the eyes, looking for something. And that you can do just by observing. You just observe that, you get really good at it. So the end of the out-breath becomes really informative, very informative. Then if you're sleepy, the end of the out-breath, use the full, full breath, really, really deep breath, and the rising of the spine, pushing down the spine, learning to learn to lock in the base of the spine so you get a good strong posture. So the body is really um, a marvelous uh, object of awareness. You, you can learn a lot, 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 the three characteristics you can contemplate in it. Uh, virya, energy, how do you do that, calming the mind, going to the heart chakra for metta bhavana. It's really, you know, it's a marvelous uh, field of inquiry and field of of understanding because, you know, the body is intelligent. It has its intelligence if we just uh, give ourselves a chance to listen to it. And usually our, our intelligence up in thought is not so intelligent. They kind of prejudice and fears and so on that our thinking mind produces are pretty stupid sometimes. <laughs> I don't know about you, but mine does. <laughs> and, and, and we get fooled by those things, don't we? Our self-doubts and our judgments of others and our fears and, and so on. But the body doesn't really lie. The body, the body just tells it, tells it how it is. So listening to the body, experimenting in these, in these energetic ways, rather than just conceptual you you learn a lot and then and then the body begins to be a place that you can always uh, respond to life from like the heart chakra learning to abide with that hearing it hearing the heart and 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 learning to relate to people from the heart is a is a very very accurate way of, of relating rather than from judgments and then the head we still use intelligence sure but I think our The wisdom of the body quite often is is neglected. Alright, I'll leave that for consideration.